0: My name is Elgin Barrett, and welcome to the second season of My Hauntings. Over the next few months, I'll bring you a new original story of the strange and supernatural every two weeks. Today, we start with a trip to the mean streets of East London. An American IT man who is new in town is looking for a room to rent. He can't afford to be too picky but perhaps he should have been rather pickier than he was. Our first story is performed by Neil McGarry and entitled Mrs. Gooley's Guests. It was getting late in the afternoon and this was by far the worst area I'd been to. London certainly wasn't the way I'd pictured it. I must have walked up and down that grimy row of shops six or seven times. There were a couple of takeouts, a taxicab office, and a convenience store with cardboard boxes piled high in the window, and there were plenty of signs in plenty of languages, but none of them told me the one thing I needed to know, the number of the goddamn door. I was about to give up on it when a man in the hardware store took pity on me. "'You looking for something, mate?' he said. "'Number 139?' "'If it's the flats, try round the back.' He gestured over his shoulder with his thumb. "'Now... "'That made absolutely no sense to me. "'I mean, how could the address refer to an entrance in a completely different street? "'What the hell was that about?' "'Anyway, I thanked him and made my way to the back "'where there was an old cobblestone alleyway "'hemmed in by a high brick wall on one side. "'It was hardly wide enough for a car "'and partially blocked by several big green dumpsters. "'A man in a grubby cook's apron watched me from a doorway smoking a cigarette.' I found the number 139 clumsily spray-painted next to a wrought iron fire escape halfway along. It led up past a windowless cinderblock extension to a shabby doorway on the next level. It has to be said, this did not look promising. It was the fifth room I'd been to see that day. I was over from the States on a temporary assignment to a financial services firm in Canary Wharf. The deal was, they put me up in a hotel for the first two weeks, and after that I made my own arrangements. It had sounded fair enough, but finding a half-decent place to stay was proving far from easy. I started to climb the stairs and then stopped as my head came level with the flat roof of the extension because there, no more than three feet away, was a monster of a sleeping dog. I don't like dogs, and don't know much about them either, but I could see this was one of those fighting dogs— "'a square-jawed beast, all teeth and muscle, "'a Rottweiler or a bulldog, perhaps, "'or some kind of evil cross between them. "'I made my way cautiously past and knocked on the door above. "'I waited a while. "'I could hear music playing somewhere, "'a long, wailing guitar solo. "'Eventually the door was opened by a tall woman "'in a striking bright yellow pantsuit "'with a wide black sash round the waist.' It was a swinging sixties sort of look, I guessed. Her eyes were rimmed with dark mascara, and her face was thickly powdered in a way that made it impossible to tell her age. Her hair, though, was so uniformly black and so straight-cut that you couldn't help but suspect a wig. She seemed incongruously glamorous in such a drab setting. Mrs. Gooley? Yes, she said, looking me up and down. "'I've come about the room?' "'Have you, indeed. Follow me, then.' My heart sank as I climbed the stairs. The floor was uncarpeted, most of the light fixtures were broken, the paper was peeling off the walls. We went up several flights, past a number of doors, all of them shut and most with padlocks on them. At the top of the house she pushed a door open and nodded for me to go in. The room was rather small— but in every other way it was an extremely pleasant surprise. It was like something out of a showroom. Everything seemed new. Bed, desk, chair. The paintwork was gleaming, the oatmeal carpet pristine. It was really rather stylish. "'There's a microwave, a kettle, and a little fridge over there in the corner,' she said. "'Shower and toilet are next door. "'There will be no visitors.' particularly not of the overnight variety, and you are expressly forbidden to enter any other room in the house, with the exception of the library, which is available on Sunday afternoons only. The library? I repeated. It seemed an odd idea. The Sunday library is a tradition of the house, she said, quite matter-of-fact. It is unlocked between the hours of two and six on Sunday afternoons for the self-improvement of our guests.' "'For the self-improvement of our guests, I loved that. "'Most of the Brits I had met so far "'had failed to live up to their snooty reputation, "'but this woman was certainly making up for it. "'Rent is payable in cash on the first Monday of the month,' she continued. "'Any questions?' "'Uh, yeah. "'When you say we, how many others are there living in this house?' "'She looked at me sharply.' "'It is only Ivan and I.' "'Your husband?' "'You have met Ivan already. "'He is sleeping outside on the terrace.' "'You mean the dog?' "'She didn't reply, but instead raised a finely penciled eyebrow.' "'Anyway, I took the room. "'The price was okay. the commute was easy, "'and, as I say, the room seemed comfortable enough. "'I saw nothing of my landlady nor of her canine companion "'during my first few days.' My work was full-on. I was out early every morning and not back until late. But as I climbed the long, gloomy staircase to bed, I could often hear noises in the other rooms. Music, usually. Once the sound of a crackly radio. Another time it was someone working through the chords of an old show-tune on a piano. Of course, it was none of my business what the woman did or who she entertained, but I was starting to suspect she hadn't been entirely honest about the other residents. It was late Friday night when I encountered the dog again. I was making my way back from the train station, which was a walk that had already started to give me the creeps. There were always a few guys with hoodies up, loitering at the station entrance. Further down the road, a little gang would hang round the chicken shop, eating fries and shouting stuff at passers-by. Even in the residential streets off the main drag, there was a sense of menace in the air, and by the time I got a block from home, I would be getting spooked by my own shadow. And that was where I spotted that brute of a dog on the sidewalk just fifty yards ahead of me. I looked around for its owner, but Mrs. Gooly was nowhere to be seen. What the hell was going on? Had the dog escaped or something? Or did she just let it roam the neighborhood at night? Whatever, I would have to speak to her about this. I watched its great hindquarters lumber towards the alley at the back of the shops. And as it turned the corner, I could see it had an object clamped in its jaws. I wasn't quite sure what. "'I decided to give it a few moments. "'I had no wish to come face to face with the damn thing, "'and then I jogged across the street. "'But I obviously hadn't waited long enough, "'because when I got to the bottom of the fire escape, "'I looked up and saw both woman and dog "'silhouetted in the doorway. "'It was the first time I had seen her since moving in, "'and she was dressed just as exotically as before, "'this time in a loose, pale blue dress "'that hung straight from her shoulders to her knees. "'Her hair was short, "'tightly crimped at the sides, "'and there was a feathered brooch at her left shoulder. "'It was a Gatsby kind of look, I guessed, "'one that I recognized from old movie stills. "'Who was she trying to impress?' I wondered. "'I was about to retreat, but she had seen me. "'You're back late,' she called. "'Come on up!' "'I couldn't very well ignore her. "'I started to climb the stairs, "'uncomfortably aware of the dog staring down at me. "'There was a look of malign cunning in his eye. "'He had something on me.' that's what it felt like. As I got closer I could hear a rumbling from somewhere deep in his chest. I paused and saw a look flash between dog and mistress. He's quite all right, she said, and grabbed him by the fold of skin at the back of his neck. I edged past them in the doorway, and as I did I looked down at the doormat and saw what the dog had been carrying. It was a bone, but not the kind I imagined a dog like him would gnaw. No, it was old, yellowed with age, and long and straight, rather like a human shin bone. I felt an involuntary shudder of disgust ripple through me. The dog growled again, and I hurried up the stairs. I hadn't made any special plans for the weekend. My main priority was catching up on sleep, and I stayed in bed late next day. I made it downstairs just before noon and found the dog once again slumbering on the flat roof. I watched him for a moment. He was more like a weapon than an animal. The long, blunt snout, the tail docked to a stump, the great slabs of muscle round his shoulders. His coat was a dirty shade of white, blotched with brown and cut so short that here and there his skin showed through. As I sidled past, I noticed he had no chain, no leash, no caller, no restraint of any kind; he was completely at liberty to wander where he pleased. Yes, I would have to speak with Mrs. Gooley at the first opportunity. That was easier said than done, though I had no idea which rooms she occupied, and she had given me no means of contacting her and Then I remembered the famous Sunday Library she said she would be unlocking at two o'clock, so maybe that would be the best time to catch her the following afternoon. I got there a few minutes early. I dawdled on the landing, and on a whim I pushed on a couple of the doors. Much to my surprise, one of them was unlocked. I checked behind me and then looked inside. The contrast with my own room couldn't have been greater. There was an iron bedstead with a thin, stained mattress and bolster. In the corner, a cracked white water jug sat on a washstand. Heavy velvet curtains were drawn across the windows, and in front was a wooden chest of drawers with an elaborate lace doily on top. Everything was covered with a thick, thick layer of dust. It felt sort of Victorian, as if it had been left untouched for years, for decades even. And then I heard a flurry of rapid footsteps behind me. I thought I said you were expressly forbidden to enter any of these rooms. Oh God, it was her. "'I'm sorry,' I said. "'Once again, she looked completely different. "'This time, she was wearing a two-piece tweed suit, "'the jacket buttoned tightly up the front, "'the skirt flaring slightly over tan stockings "'and stout block-heeled shoes. "'She looked at me sternly, like an old-time schoolteacher. "'Well,' she said, "'I was looking for the library. "'Then perhaps you should have tried the door over there. "'The word library is quite prominently displayed.' "'Of course,' I gave her a goofy grin. "'Like I said, I'm sorry.' "'Her face remained impassive. "'Her hair, or wig, whatever it was, "'was brushed straight back "'and wound into a tight bun at the back of her head. "'She was nothing if not intimidating.' "'I gathered my courage. "'There was something I wanted to talk to you about,' I said. "'But I thought you wanted to see the library.' "'Well, yes, yes, I do. "'Then let's do that first, shall we?' She crossed to the other side of the landing, turned the key in the lock, and opened the door onto a large, elegant room. It was an astonishingly elegant room, to be honest. Three walls were taken up by floor-to-ceiling bookshelves. The fourth was occupied by two bay windows, with a view out to a soaring church steeple framed by large, mature trees. "'For a moment it was as if I had left the streets of northeast London behind "'and been transported to a picture-postcard English village. "'So,' she said, "'what do you think?' "'Although her face was still impassive, there was now a gleam in her eye. "'A gleam of pride, I rather thought. "'And I realized then why she granted her guests access to this room.' It was because this was the place that reflected how she saw herself. It was her vision of how she wished the world to be and her place in it. It's uh, beautiful, I said. Thank you, she whispered. I'm so glad. And then I took a couple of steps closer to the window, looked down, and realized I was directly above the scruffy row of shops. In fact, the wiring for the back of the neon sign of the grocery store was just a couple of feet below me. How bizarre that a room like this could still exist in such a place. For a moment her eyes rested on mine as if she was reading my thoughts. This was once a terrace of Georgian houses, she said, as perfect as any you will find in Kensington or Knightsbridge. Alas, the ground floor of the entire row was gutted many years ago for all those ghastly businesses down there. There are only one or two vestiges of the old building, like this library, that remain. That's a shame, I muttered. She tilted her head slightly to one side. "'You are an American, are you not?' I nodded. "'I don't know how much of interest you will find on my shelves, "'but you are welcome to browse. "'I have a passion for English social history, "'fashion and design in particular. "'My collection of magazines would be, I believe, "'the envy of many specialist libraries.' She flapped her hand in the direction of the shelf next to her. "'I have every issue of British Vogue ever published, "'House and Garden, too, Harper's, Cosmopolitan, "'The Architectural Digest.' "'I am something of a completist.' "'She looked at me for a moment to see if I understood, and then continued. "'I have even older ones, of course, recalls from the 1900 onwards, "'Le Mode de Paris, the Illustrated London News. "'But I doubt these would interest you. "'Come to that, perhaps none of them do.' "'I'm sorry,' I said, and I gave her my goofy grin again. "'I was a computer science major. "'I should have known that wouldn't go down well. "'Well, each to his own,' she said, turning away. "'Oh, yes,' I said quickly. "'The thing I wanted to mention?' "'She stopped. "'Yes?' "'It's about the dog. "'His name is Ivan,' she said, and looked at me icily. "'Ivan. "'Only he seems to be free to, you know, to just roam around. "'And what of it?' "'Well, he is quite a large animal. "'I was wondering if it was, like, safe?' "'Safe?' "'She spat the word out with utter distaste. "'Of course it's safe. "'Ivan is perfectly inoffensive, as long as he's not provoked.' And if he is provoked, well, why on earth would anyone be so stupid? She rolled her eyes and stalked out of the room. The dog wasn't in his customary spot when I descended the fire escape half an hour later. I checked the back alley to make sure he wasn't lurking and then headed out to the street. I walked around aimlessly for half an hour. "'just getting a feel for the neighborhood "'and trying to decide what to make of my landlady. "'Was she very eccentric? "'Was she just very English? "'Or was she something else entirely? "'I certainly found her unnerving, "'but then, as she was hardly ever around, "'perhaps it didn't matter. "'The dog, though, was something else. "'The situation was intolerable. "'I mean, the idea that I might just bump into the damn thing on the street. "'And then? "'What do you know? "'I stopped in my tracks.' That is exactly what happened. I could see his long, ugly, white snouts sticking out from behind a wall at the end of the block. I ducked behind a parked car and watched. He looked from side to side in a furtive, almost human manner, and then set off down the road at a brisk trot. He seemed to have a clear sense of purpose. What was he doing? I followed at a distance. He went along a couple of drab streets of large, run-down Victorian houses. Some kids playing with a scooter stepped back and watched him go by. Then he came to a main road, crossed at some traffic lights, and made for a wide gateway of four Egyptian-style pillars set a little back from the sidewalk. The dog accelerated as he went through the gates, and I had to jog to keep up. But out of the corner of my eye I glimpsed the name, Abney Park. I followed for fifty yards down a broad avenue, which then forked into three paths. The dog took the middle one, and as I hurried after him, I got the impression I wasn't in a park at all. At first it seemed I was in the woods, dense woods, and then I realized it wasn't that either, because here and there I could see the tops of monuments poking through the tangle of weeds. It was a cemetery, an extraordinarily overgrown cemetery. Up ahead was an old derelict chapel. I got close to it, and then saw the dog dart off to the right. I was just in time to see the stump of his tail disappear into a tunnel which had been worn through the undergrowth. I backed off and chose a spot where I could keep watch. The cemetery must be huge. The noise of the city traffic was now no more than a distant rumble. I looked around me. The trees formed a dense canopy of leaves above "'through which very little of the late afternoon sun could penetrate. "'Despite the gloom, I started to make out all kinds of statues, "'part concealed by the plants and bushes. "'There were draped urns and Celtic crosses, angels, "'some armless, some headless, some toppled. "'A hand raised its index finger from the top of a slender obelisk "'and pointed at the heavens. "'I waited five minutes.' maybe ten. And then the dog's head appeared at the entrance to the tunnel, and I could see quite clearly that in his mouth he was carrying a long, thin, yellow bone. The bone was human. I now had no doubt about it. He put it down for a moment and shook some leaves from his coat. Then he picked it up and trotted off towards the entrance. What was I to do? Should I follow? No. I could guess where he was going with his trophy." Now was my chance to find out where it came from. I went over to the tunnel and got down on my hands and knees. I crawled the first few feet, and then, as it narrowed, I went onto my stomach and slithered the rest of the way, the branches scraping my back and my arms. I emerged into an area of tightly packed graves, hemmed in by trees and a thick wall of brambles and nettles. The headstones listed at all angles in the sea of ivy that had engulfed them. It was obvious that one of them had recently been disturbed. The right-hand side had collapsed, and several mounds of earth had been thrown up as a result of digging. I made for the headstone, tearing at the ivy to see if I could read the inscription. But when I had ripped it away, I was disappointed. I could just make out the word Charles, but after that, time had done its work. There was nothing more. Damn! I tried running a fingertip along where the next word should be and felt a slight incision in the stone. It was part feel, part intuition, and part plain guesswork, but I had the idea the next word began with an S. I kept going. The next letter I told myself was a T. At the end of the process, I was fairly sure I had the word S-T-O-K-E-S, Charles Stokes, I assumed his dates would be underneath my fingers found nothing where the first group of numbers should be. I moved to the right and had better luck one, eight, nine, five. so Charles Stokes died eighteen ninety five I drew a deep breath and looked around. None of the other graves had been touched, only this one, but why? "'If the dog had developed a taste for human bones, there was a feast whichever way he looked. "'So why, out of all the hundreds of graves here, why had he picked on this one? "'It didn't make any sense.' "'The light was failing now, and it was no time to be alone in a vast Victorian necropolis. "'I picked my way over to the tunnel, got down on my front, pushed my head inside, and started to wriggle forward.' I got halfway and suddenly felt horribly claustrophobic. I needed to get out of there as fast as I could. I scrabbled with my nails to haul myself towards the patch of grayish light at the end, and then I froze, because—oh, shit—because then it all went dark. It remained black, and there was a growling noise. No, surely not. I tried to push myself backwards, but the collar of my shirt snagged on something above. Shit, shit, shit— there was a crackling of undergrowth, a growl, and the dog suddenly surged down the tunnel towards me. I tried to wrench myself free, but I was stuck. What the hell was I to do? What the hell? And then he stopped with his snout no more than six inches from my face. I could smell his sour, rancid breath. His chest rumbled. Hello, Ivan, I said. His eyes glowed. Ivan! He curled his lips, and even in the darkness his canines gleamed a savage white. Good boy, Ivan. Then he let out a long, vicious, heart-stopping snarl. I buried my face in the dirt and covered the top of my head with my hands. The dog snarled again, and I waited for the worst. He started panting heavily. I could feel his hot, moist breath on the backs of my fingers. Still, I waited... Then there was the sound of snapping twigs, and a rustling of leaves, another growl, some more heavy breathing, a great grunt of effort, and when I looked up, he had gone. It seemed to me I had a duty to report this to someone. But who? There was no one at the cemetery to tell. No office, no caretaker, no gardener. The police, then? I winced at the thought. If they were anything like ours back home, they would laugh me out the building, which left no one but the owner of that monstrous animal, Mrs. Gooley. But would she care? Would she even be interested? I thought back to the scene at the door on Friday night, the bone on the doormat, the way the woman and dog looked at each other. And it suddenly struck me that she knew exactly what the dog was doing. She was somehow complicit in all this. I was sure of it. But Why? What could possibly be in it for her? I couldn't figure it out. And, in the end, to my shame, I told no one and did nothing. The next few days flew by. It was still full-on at the office, same as the previous week. I left early, got back late, and saw neither woman nor dog. But I turned things over in my mind. Why Charles Stokes? Why, out of all the hundreds of bodies in the cemetery, why would the dog choose him? "'he must have some significance, but not to the dog, obviously. "'If he held a meaning for anyone, it would be for Mrs. Gooley. "'And if that was the case, then perhaps the answer to the puzzle "'might lie behind one of those doors. "'When I climbed the stairs to bed at night, I would choose one at random "'and try the handle or stop and listen outside. "'But the house was quiet that week, and the rooms always securely locked. "'And then it occurred to me that some kind of answer might lie "'in the one room that I did have access to.' the library. It was just a hunch, but I had nothing else to go on. So the following Sunday, just after two o'clock, I stood outside my room at the top of the house and listened for Mrs. Gooley's keys in the lock two landings below. I allowed enough time for her to go away, and then hurried down the stairs. I went into the room and scoured the shelves for what I was looking for. It was something she had mentioned the previous week, the Illustrated London News. I had never actually seen a copy, but I had an idea it was an old Victorian newspaper. Eventually, I discovered them on the two bottom shelves by the left-hand window. She had a considerable collection, all beautifully kept in old Morocco leather binders with the relevant year stenciled in gold on the spine. I ran my finger along until I came to 1895. Perfect. I sat cross-legged on the floor and started to leaf through. The illustrations took the form of incredibly detailed, rather melodramatic, engravings. Angry rioters shaking their fists at policemen, bewhiskered clergymen at the pulpit, wild-eyed explorers and solar topies. There were reports on mining disasters, a war in Cuba, the trial of Oscar Wilde. I had worked my way through to July of that year when I came upon what I was looking for. It was the engraving that first caught my eye a pond in a small park, overlooked by some large houses. I recognized it for some reason. Then it dawned on me. I had walked past that very spot the previous weekend. I started to read the article underneath. Mystery of body hauled from East London Pond. There has been considerable consternation in East London after one of the most gruesome discoveries of the year. On Friday evening, a sizable crowd gathered at Clapton Pond where a body had earlier been recovered from the water— police attended the scene after reports of a young man running through the area in apparent terror for his life. Eyewitnesses could not agree from what exactly he was fleeing, and a police sergeant at the scene dismissed many of their accounts as entirely fanciful. Nevertheless, when the chief police surgeon examined the body, he pronounced that the man had sustained horrific injuries consistent with being mauled by a large wild beast. I was suddenly aware that I was gripping the binder so tightly that my fingernails had gone right through the leather. I read on. The man was identified as Mr. Charles Stokes from an engraving on the back of the fob watch found in his waistcoat pocket. There is no information yet as to his abode or occupation. The police investigation is continuing. And then I heard a noise behind me and slammed the binder shut. Wouldn't you be more comfortable in a chair? I looked up to find the woman standing over me. She was wearing the same pale blue Gatsby dress as the other evening. "'I—I'm sorry?' I said. She was made up even more heavily than before, with a thin embroidered band across her forehead and a single string of pearls tied in a large knot. "'I'm delighted to see you are availing yourself of our facilities.' There was something different in her manner today. She was like an actress suddenly come alive on the stage. uh, "'I—er—yes,' I mumbled. Her eyes twinkled, and she continued, "'Now—' "'I hope you won't mind, but I wonder if I might ask you for a small favour. "'So that's what this was about. She wanted something from me. "'Obviously I don't want to put you out, but it really won't take very long.' "'Well, yes, of course,' I said. I didn't see how I could refuse. "'Gosh, that is so sweet of you!' Her face lit up in a radiant smile. "'I always knew you were a good sort.' She leaned forward in a kindly, conspiratorial manner. "'Will you meet us at the gates of the cemetery in half an hour?' "'Huh?' I stared at her, dumbly for a moment. "'I believe you know the place I'm talking about.' "'But what?' I started. "'Don't worry,' she said. "'All will become clear.' She skipped coquettishly over to the library door. "'Half an hour? Don't be late.' She closed the door behind her with a click. My head was spinning. There were too many things to think about. I mean, how did Mrs. Goolie know that I knew about the cemetery? How could she possibly know? And what to make of the fate of poor Mr. Charles Stokes, mauled to death by a large animal? There was a link here. There had to be. But I just couldn't see it. But for now, my immediate problem was the favor Mrs. Gooley had asked of me. What the hell did she have in mind? I didn't like the thought of it. I didn't like it at all. But in the end, my curiosity got the better of me, because half an hour later, I found myself at the cemetery's Egyptian gates, just as I had promised. I paced up and down. There was a homeless man sitting with his back against one of the pillars. "'Excuse me, mate. Can you spare us some change?' he said. I ignored him. I spun on my heel. He made me even more uncomfortable than I already was. I needed to compose myself. I needed to think. "'Just for a bite to eat, mate,' he called after me. "'Please, mate!' And then I spotted the woman and the hateful dog. They were half hidden by a large bush at the start of the side alley to the right. She was wearing a long grey trench coat with a beret pulled down tightly on her head, and she was sporting a large pair of very dark glasses. It was her idea of being inconspicuous, I guessed. She beckoned me over impatiently. "'Right,' she said. "'All we need you to do is to take this back to the house.' She pointed to an old brown leather bag at her feet. "'I didn't like the idea one little bit. "'But but why?' I said. "'It is too awkward for Ivan, and I was not designed as a beast of burden, "'so you are our only hope.' "'She flashed me an encouraging smile.' "'I stared at the bag. "'What's inside it?' I said. "'It doesn't concern you. "'All you need do is take it.' "'Behind the sunglasses I could see that she was constantly looking around her, "'as if she was nervous, on edge. "'I'm sorry,' I said. "'I'm not sure I want to.' "'She removed her sunglasses and looked me very directly in the eye. "'You did say you would do me a favor. "'Not unless you tell me what's inside it.' "'The dog emitted a hostile rumble and curled his lip. "'She grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. "'Then she leant forward and brought her face up close to mine. "'I could see the creases in her skin through the heavy makeup. "'She was old, far, far older than I had realized. "'Her irises were pale "'The whites of her eyes blood-flecked. "'There was something almost unearthly about her. "'Pick it up and take it,' she spat. "'The dog lunged at me, his fangs bared. "'And in that moment of sheer bewilderment and terror, "'I reached down and picked up the leather bag. "'Without thinking, I started to make my way towards the cemetery gates. "'What was I doing? "'I knew this was wrong, but I couldn't stop myself. "'I could feel their eyes on my back almost propelling me forward.' I had got no further than thirty yards when two uniformed police officers crossed in front of me and blocked my path. "'Excuse me, sir,' said one of them. "'Would you mind telling us what you got there?' My heart was thumping. "'What's this about?' I asked. "'There have been some reports that some of the graves in this cemetery have been, um, interfered with, and so we're conducting a few random spot checks to reassure the public as much as anything else.' "'I see,' I said, my mind racing. "'What was I to do? "'Should I tell them about the dog?' "'So can you tell us what's in the bag, sir?' "'I had to say something, so I just said, "'Books.' "'Books?' "'Yes, books. "'I've been studying.' "'Then you won't mind if we take a look, will you, sir?' "'In a daze, I handed them the bag, "'trying to get my brain to work, "'trying to formulate the explanation I would give them "'when they found—' Well, when they found whatever there was inside, one of them unzipped it and held it away from him slightly as he checked it. Doesn't look much like books to me. No, I said. He showed the bag to his colleague. Nope, said the colleague. I think I need to tell you something, I started. But the policeman was shaking his head and smiling now. No, he said. It looks like someone's been shopping at Waitrose. What? I said, and as I did, out of the corner of my eye... I caught a glimpse of the woman and the dog. "'They walked rapidly behind the officers towards the gates, "'the woman with a large plastic shopping bag in either hand. "'Yes,' said the first policeman, "'obviously starting to enjoy himself. "'Someone's got themselves something very nice for their tea. "'Pork spare ribs, courgettes. "'Nice bottle of Merlot to wash it down.' "'The woman and the dog were almost at the sidewalk now. "'I should say something to the officers. "'I knew I should.' "'but before I could form the words, the dog turned his head "'and shot me a look of pure, liquid evil. "'Are you all right, sir?' said one of the officers. "'You seem a bit distracted.' Uh, "'Yes, I'm fine, thank you,' I said, trying to pull myself together. "'So are you absolutely sure this is your bag?' "'The policeman held the open bag towards me so I could see inside. "'Yes, of course I am,' I snapped. "'Only you seem a bit confused. "'Well, that's not a crime, is it?' No, I suppose it's not, he said, handing it back to me. Sorry to have troubled you, sir. Yes, and bon appétit, said his colleague with a grin. As I walked away from them, I could feel the anger start to boil inside me. How could I have been so stupid? That woman had manipulated me, used me, played me for a fool. It was obvious what was in those two shopping bags. Damn her! The last thing I wanted was to help her in her foul purposes, but I was now sure that was exactly what I had just done. I got to the cemetery gates and tossed the brown leather bag to the homeless man by the pillar. Bon appetit, I shouted, and then I stormed off down the road. The closer I got to the house, the angrier I became. "'and by the time I reached the bottom of the fire escape, "'my rage had obliterated every other emotion. "'I was no longer even afraid of that hellhound. "'I bounded up the stairs to the front door, "'not caring whether I met him or not. "'But he wasn't in his usual place on the flat roof. "'Right,' I told myself. "'Now was my chance to confront that woman, "'and nothing was going to stop me. "'I turned my key in the lock and listened for a moment. "'There was music coming from the top of the house. "'I climbed the stairs and stopped outside the door opposite my own.' From inside came a song I thought I knew. Harsh, jagged riffs, wild, wailing guitar. Jimi Hendrix, i guess. I took a deep breath and pushed on the door. It swung open. And there she was. She had changed and was wearing the same outfit as the first time I'd seen her. It was the swinging sixties look. The yellow pantsuit with the sash, long leather boots, black bob— She greeted me with the most full-on, most radiant, most charming smile. "'What do you think?' she shouted over the music, opening her arms wide and spinning round. My anger turned to wonder as I looked about me. It was astonishing. The walls were papered with a psychedelic design of great orange whirls and vivid red spirals. A transparent bubble chair hung on a chain from the ceiling. A bright pink Fender Stratocaster was leaning against an amplifier in the corner. The room was pure, perfect 1960s. There was a low double bed covered by an Indian patchwork quilt, a fluffy white flocati rug on the floor. On the wall were posters for Disraeli Gears, Her Satanic Majesty's Request, the 14-hour Technicolor Dream. It was like a time capsule. What is this? I said. She beamed with pleasure. "'She had completely thrown me, phased me, flummoxed me. "'Everything here,' she shouted above the music, "'everything is exactly as it was in the summer of 1968.' The song came to an end with a great rush of throbbing feedback, and in the silence between tracks she leaned forward and whispered, "'And there's something else you must see. "'I even have the resident.' I stared at her. "'What could she mean?' Hendrick's guitar chugged discordantly at the start of the next song. She took a couple of steps to her right, and with a flick of her wrist she pulled the Indian quilt from the bed. "'Good God!' I muttered. I staggered. I felt sick, physically sick. For there, full length, on the bed, was a skeleton, skull grinning at the ceiling, arms by its sides— "'every last bone, every vertebra in its proper place. Stephen Fiorucci died 26 January 1968,' she announced, "'and threw her head back with a shriek of laughter. "'Then she skipped past me to the door, "'a look of girlish glee on her face. "'And that's not all,' she said. "'Come!' "'She danced down a flight of stairs and fiddled with a lock. "'I followed. "'Stupefied. "'She threw the door open. The room was lit by a frosted globe, held aloft by a chrome statuette of a woman in a long dress. The walls were papered with a pattern of stylized black and silver fans. The bed was pale lacquered wood with dark geometric inlays. As you can see, said the woman, each room is perfectly representative of its era. Every detail just so. It's... it's... "'I didn't know what to say. "'Yes, it is quite extraordinary, is it not? "'Any guesses as to this one? "'Maybe... maybe Art Deco?' "'Congratulations! "'You are far better educated than anyone would guess!' "'Then she pushed aside a folding Japanese screen "'to reveal an upright piano. "'A figure was seated on the stool in front, "'dressed in a maroon velvet smoking-jacket.' I stared into the empty eye sockets of its skull. And this is Edmund O'Connor, died 12th January 1929. I turned to her, aghast. A whole crowd of questions arose in my mind, but before I had a chance to ask a single one, she grabbed my hand. Come, come! We descended another flight. And in here, she said, pushing open another door. "'we find 2nd Lieutenant Peter Farthing of the Royal Fusiliers.' "'A skeleton hung from a stand, "'such as you might find in a medical classroom, "'except this one was old and yellowed, "'with a khaki jacket draped over its shoulders "'and a peaked military cap on its head. "'I couldn't bring myself to look at him. "'Instead, I cast my eyes around the room. "'The furniture was wooden, solid and functional. "'There was a large Bakelite radio on the chest of drawers.' "'The flooring was plain parquet. "'On the bed was a gas mask "'along with a leather motorbike helmet and goggles. "'World War II,' I said quietly. "'Very good,' she said. "'Yes. Peter died on April the 14th, 1943.' "'I didn't respond because something else had caught my eye. "'It was a framed black-and-white photograph on the mantelpiece. "'I took a closer look. "'It was her, Mrs. Gooley, "'wearing the tweed two-piece suit that I had seen the other day. "'A piece of the puzzle, just a very small one, fell into place. "'So, you have a different outfit for each of them?' I asked her. "'Oh, yes, wardrobes and wardrobes of them. "'Which reminds me, I shouldn't really be in here dressed like this.' "'She gestured at her yellow pantsuit. "'I don't like to make them jealous.' "'She waved me out of the room and locked the door behind us. "'Wait for me here,' she said. "'Ivan will stay with you.' "'She snapped her fingers, and the dog lumbered out of the shadows. "'Then she opened another door and disappeared down a corridor. "'The events of the last few minutes had left me with a feeling of numb incomprehension, "'but I could now feel myself starting to panic.' I knew I should get out of there, get out at any cost, and given half a chance, I would have. I would have run. I would have screamed for help. I would have done anything. But the dog's steady, spiteful gaze kept me pinned to the spot. The woman was back in next to no time, having done an astonishingly quick change. She glided through the door in a long, black-and-cream, high-neck dress, Looking every inch to the Victorian matron, her hair tied with black velvet ribbons and fancy black lace around her waist and cuffs, she gave me a serene smile, then unlocked another door and led the way into the decades-old, dusty room where she had surprised me the previous week. The curtains were still drawn, but it was now lit by a pair of wall-mounted gas lamps. On a suit rack in front of the fireplace was a gentleman's three-piece suit in grey plaid, On the chest of drawers, a fob-watch and chain. And on the bed were several neatly arranged piles of bones, next to an old yellowish skull. Thank you so much for your help this afternoon, she said. I'm afraid we haven't had time to assemble him yet, but I thought you might be curious to see him. Charles Stokes, I said, died July fifteenth, 1895, mauled to death by a dangerous animal at Clapton Pond oh bravo said the woman you have done your homework i could suddenly no longer contain myself look what is going on here i shouted who are these people why they are lodgers they're lodgers i repeated lodgers roomers, residents guests call them what you wish you mean they used to live here used to "'Well, yes, in a manner of speaking, "'although I like to think that no one who has ever been with us ever truly leaves.' "'I saw now that the dog was breathing heavily. "'His eyes had narrowed to hard, bitter points, "'and drool was pouring from his gums and pooling on the floor. "'The significance of what the woman had just said was also beginning to dawn on me. "'No one who has been with us ever truly leaves.' I thought of my own, surprisingly modern, extremely well-appointed room two stories above. Could it be described as perfectly representative of its era? It occurred to me that perhaps it could. "'And me?' I asked, and I realized that not just my voice, but my whole body had started to shake. "'What about me?' The dog's huge muscles were tense, coiled, quivering, As I believe I once told you, said Mrs. Gooley, I am a completist. I am so sorry. The dog was now twitching convulsively, each time emitting a snarl that grew in savagery. Now if you'll excuse me, she said, and gave me her most charming smile, I shall leave you both to it. And she closed the door behind her with a click. Mrs. Gooley's Guests was written by Elgin Barrett and performed by Neil McGarry. Technical presentation was by Malcolm Blackmore and music by John Woz.